0: For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rant podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. November is Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Month, and in the Eugene area, the crisis is right in front of our faces on a daily basis. Lane County is host to over 1,600 unhoused residents, and that number rises to over half a million nationwide. The debate has been had on what leads people to end up on the streets, but one common thread is constantly present, suffering mental health. Today we are joined by a woman and dear friend of the podcast who knows this reality firsthand. Coming up next, Homeless in Eugene with Blair Conrad. (laughs) Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Self-Esteem Boat Willie. My guest today is Blair Conrad. Blair, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, sir.
0: So, I think you may possibly be the so the Spent the Rent Podcast's biggest fan.
1: You know, I was the first fan, so therefore I am the biggest, and thank you for noticing.
0: Anyone that is listening, uh, Blair and I have been friends for 20 years, roughly. Who's counting? But... Uh, <laughs> So when you had started really tuning into the podcast and being really, you know, positive and and supportive of this kind of dream that I had of starting this, uh, I really appreciated it. And then you had reached out to me kind of trying to say uh, different ideas, like I'm going to be doing a show on suicide prevention with Sarah Wapner. Yep, Sarah's
1: Wapner Schofield. We've, We've
0: been talking about that. And so you had some different ideas. And one thing I wanted to do with a locally made lane county based podcast is i wanted the people that were the audience to be part of it so when you had reached out to me that was something that i was like we need to figure out a way to do a show and you have got you know a great personal story so it's something that you know i appreciate you coming out and doing this
1: i appreciate you having me patrick
0: So we're going to go just right into it. Uh, We're going to be discussing homelessness in Eugene and Lane County, which anyone that lives here knows it's a huge problem. You could be here for two days, one day, really, and know that it's a huge problem. Yeah. And, you know, obviously in the news, the homeless camps and the way that they're repositioning people, and we'll get on, we'll touch on that a little bit. But mostly what we're going to be discussing is your personal story. Yep. So anybody that's listening, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all homeless story, but this is this is Blair's story, and this is something that we both thought would be a great thing to share because it is a redemption story, and I think, you know, that's one thing Americans love is a redemption story. At least we used to. I don't know what's <laughs> happening today.
1: Yeah, we do recover.
0: Right. So, let's just kind of start out with some chronological stuff. I mean, you grew up in Oregon. You moved here from Los Angeles when you were yep. seven.
1: Yep. Grew up in Junction City.
0: And drunk and shitty, and... <laughs> and so Junction City, and then uh, I think I met you when you were going to Springfield High, or, or no, I, think...
1: I actually graduated from JC.
0: Oh, from Junction yeah. City. so we hanging met out right ha-
1: after high hanging school, yeah. out right after
0: high school, and uh, then you went on and you attended Oregon State.
1: I did. I got a full ride scholarship for academics,
0: which is impressive. Thanks. Uh, and then that didn't, you know, you didn't finish, but you, you know, you're still a Beaver. I know. Yesterday with the Civil War, we were ribbing each other a little bit. Oh yeah, bit. always. Um. Uh, so what happened with that? I mean, you just kind of had a breakdown.
1: I did. So the story of it goes: I, I graduated top five percent of my class, which was impressive. I didn't, I didn't get anything but A's in high school, and so, anyways, I had three full ride scholarship offers: one to U of O for track and field, one to Washington State for basketball, and then one to OSU for academics. I decided to take the academics one because I figured, you know, doing sports would take away from me focusing on my studies. <clears throat> Long story short, I went there for political science. I ended up having a nervous breakdown about two terms in, lost everything. That seems to be when my mental illness really took hold because I was top of my class, best in all the athletics I did, band geek, all that good stuff. And then I just lost everything. And it was crazy how quickly. Just kind of crumbled quickly. Yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, you had mentioned, you know, mental illness. And it started kind of at that age. But as a kid, was it something that you kind of see? You can yeah. see the signs yes, kind of coming up.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I was always a really nervous kid. Right. <laughs> nervous wreck, as my dad says.
0: I mean, for a lot of people, I think it really comes on later in life where it's really noticeable. I, I mean, I guess that's not true. There's people that are over prescribed medicines and it's constantly changing. But yeah, uh, the thing that that I want the audience to know is, is that when we met, we were 19, 18, 19, and we were, you know, full disclosure, recreational drug users yep. and kind of in the rave scene or party scene or what have you. And, you know, anybody that knows anybody that's homeless or or knows of the homeless mentality is, is that what the judgment call is, is, oh, they, they put themselves in that position. And, right. and I think that what is different about your story is, is that, yes, there's some, predispositions to mental health and then uh, some struggles with drug use, but then you were you got yourself really into roller derby and you yes. had a severe, severe back injury. I did.
1: I did. Tell us a
0: little bit about that. First of all, just getting into roller derby and what that did to kind of give, as a woman in sports, gave you something that gave empowerment and all that. So. Oh,
1: yeah. So roller derby was a huge, a huge thing in my life for a very brief time. So I was one of the founding members of the Emerald City Roller Derby, which was the Emerald City Roller Girls back then. And the day before our first bout, I fell down so hard that I actually ruptured one of my vertebrae and crushed or ruptured one of my discs and crushed one of my vertebrae. So cue the back surgery. Right. Cue the ha- learning how to walk again. You right. Know? And then
0: anyone that knows about opioid addiction, what comes next is that the doctors then give you prescriptions like candy.
1: Oh, my God. It was insane how much pain meds I was on. It right. was like it was like 180 milligrams of morphine a day. 90 milligrams of Oxycontin a day and then 30 milligrams of Percocet.
0: Right. And that's I mean, I definitely remember that time that there was times where we would hang out and I'd be like, well, it's a shame you couldn't make it today.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and, oh my gosh. and so
0: the thing that is the common thread for anybody that's nationally dealing with family members or themselves dealing with opioid addiction is, is that. I think the difference between a drug addiction and a prescription drug addiction is that with a drug addiction, like a street drug addiction, there's something in the back of your mind, your conscience that's telling you like, you're better than this. You can do better than this. And unfortunately, a lot of people, it stems from childhood abuse that they were never told that they're better than this. So some people don't believe that. Right. But with opioid addiction and honestly, what took my mom, what took her life? I mean, she died of natural causes, but she dealt with depression so long and then pain and then they overmedicated her from fibromyalgia. And, um, you know, basically towards the end, she was just numb. Like there was nothing there, but she didn't think she had an addiction. Right. Cause she was 15 years sober from alcohol mm-hmm. and had gotten herself clean on that way, but she still didn't. She, I mean, if you told her that she had a pill addiction, she's like, well, it's prescribed. It's totally fine.
1: Yeah. The doctor gave it to me.
0: Right. And so at the long, you know, the time that I've known you, that's something that's just we, I've had times when I would either call you out or talk to you about it and then you were completely that was off the cocaine is a problem right these prescription right. drugs is not right exactly you know?
1: well and, i'm in pain i'm i'm in legitimate pain i need this
0: right and that's such a controversial thing because with my mom she had it's not fibromyalgia what's the loop lupus. lupus she had many different diagnoses, and and they're about phantom pain and people hate me for saying this but sometimes i wonder if it's you know how pain is so it's in the mind. Yes, it's but, very relative. But it's real and it's impossible. I'm not trying to downplay it, but I sometimes wondered it's the chicken and the egg thing. What came first, the pain or the addiction? Right. And then it gave a means to feed that addiction without feeling the guilt. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what leads so many, so many of, of the people that suffer through opioid addiction leads them into that. And that's the thing that it's drugs don't discriminate. So no. prescription drugs are drugs. Mm hmm. And so that's this the thread that you see like with suburban people yes. that don't look themselves don't look at themselves and think I'm an addict yet right. you know so that's the biggest issue so the doctors over prescribing medicine and then uh, you know dealing with that and then you were still kind of recreational doing stuff but you went clean and and in, in your mind at the time yeah. you, were, you were clean and doing, yeah. doing doing well but then that was to manage the pain i'm sure that you found yourself over Taking Right. Well then,
1: the thing of it is is when you're taking opioid medication and you do have legitimate pain, which you know, back surgery, whatever, at a certain point you remove <clears> the medication and the pain that you originally have is actually greater. Right. So it's it's partially mental, but it's mostly physical, and it's because your body so craves that drug that it will do anything to you to get your brain right. to put like it to back tell in you your that, body. To yes. tell you that you actually need it. Yep.
0: Right. So as far as the homelessness, I mean, anybody that knows anything about addiction knows the chaos that can, you, I'm sure you were close a few times, but what is it that took you over the edge that actually got you to find yourself to where you're living on the streets?
1: So I have been battling mental health issues for decades now. And, um, right before I hit my 33rd year of life, my grandfather my mom's dad passed away. Right. And that hit me really, really hard. Well, just a few months later, my dad's mom passed away and we watched her pass away. We took her off life support. Right. Well, that was that was one of the final nails in my housed coffin, if you will. And then me and my mother had a falling out, which my mother and I have had a tumultuous relationship my whole entire life. It's actually I haven't spoken to her since. This was four years ago. Right. So that was the last that was the last straw. I started doing methamphetamine and lost everything within about a month. I lost my home, my fiance, my dog, my cats, my car, everything.
0: And what, I mean, if you could pinpoint what thing, like what changed, you know, you're still dealing with the pain and taking prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. What changed to where you were like, I'm just going all in and then, and I'm going to do something that, I mean, is there just like a, a moment or was it just something that you just almost woke up one day and you're like, I'm actually doing this?
1: Well, you know, uh, I think the reason I started doing drugs in the first place is because I realized that the two people that were most proud of me in my life were gone. Right. I was never going to talk to him again. That really hit me hard. Right. And like I was saying, we had chatted about this before we started recording this, but um, I was really good at playing the blame game. Right. I was good at telling the world that everybody else was contributing to my despair instead of taking that personal accountability. Right. So that slippery slope ended up taking me <clears throat> into a two-year bout of homelessness and... I literally crawled myself out of an icy ditch right. to get away from it. Right. And yeah. I mean,
0: you know, growing up in the Springfield area, Springfield, Eugene, Springfield's got such a bad reputation when it comes to meth, but it's everywhere. I it mean, it's everywhere. it's a West Coast, Lane County, Oregon. I mean, and I think now it's everywhere in the country and probably the world at this it is. point. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, but we see it firsthand being from Springfield. <clears throat> excuse me. We see it firsthand uh, just how much meth can just destroy Your life. And it, I mean, it doesn't take long. Like you said, one month. Yeah. And then it's, and then at that point, it kind of turns your brain to mush to where you don't, like I was saying before, you don't have that conscience in the back of your mind that's telling you, like, you're better than this. Right. And I think that's the biggest problem with, I mean, drugs are bad, okay, but like, (laughs) just, I mean, meth in particular meth and heroin really are just where you take that to where you have no regard for yeah. the people in your life, no. especially the people in your life. Cause those are the the loved ones. They trust you enough for you to be able to capitalize on it. Yeah. It just gets this theft mentality. I do remember when you were going through that and you were living on 99 and I, I think Facebook or something, you had posted something and I knew that you were probably going to buy drugs, but I was like, I'm going to give her money. And the only reason I was doing it wasn't I reached out and I said, I'm going to stop and meet her. I got off the bus and I gave you some money. And my mentality wasn't like, this money is not the significance. It's that someone actually gives a shit.
1: Yeah. I ate that day because of you.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I did not buy drugs well, because
1: I, I respected you that much. I,
0: I was comfortable with the concept of right. you using it for whatever because, and I told you that in the moment, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But my, mind, my mindset wasn't about the money. It was about... I want you to understand that someone cares. Yeah. And I think that with homelessness in general, like in Lane County, that's one of the things that's a difficult thing with a stranger mm-hmm. because when you help them, you know, are you feeding the problems? That's a debate, and obviously that depends on person. If somebody's not aggressive towards you asking for change, you feel a lot different, right? The the issues we run into here is like people that are like, you know, you know, you got a quarter and you're like, no, they're like, well, then
1: fuck you. Yeah, exactly. You know? Give me a cigarette. Fuck you, too. You know the thing that pisses me off? Here's the thing. Having been homeless and dealt with all the negativity involved in that, yeah, there's a lot of shame when you're homeless. You don't feel like a person. And maybe that's yourself. Maybe that's society. Maybe it's a combination of both. But the thing of it is, is this is what I want to tell people. Don't give money to homeless people. Give money to homeless. To services. Yes. If they're hungry, give them some food. If they're cold, give them a coat. Don't give them money. Because that's when you start feeding the problem that is cyclical and keeping them in their, you know, whatever they're dealing with.
0: Right. and That's just
1: my opinion having dealt with what I dealt with.
0: Well, and there's cities that are starting to make, you know, laws against, uh, I think Roseburg was one of the first in Oregon that started by basically fining people for... I don't know if it's... Lo- See, I, I have a problem with finding someone for giving money. I think that the asking for money and loitering is the issue. Yeah, well, you know?
1: here in Springfield, you're not allowed to panhandle.
0: You're not allowed to panhandle, which is better than saying that you can't help someone. Because, right, exactly. Because like, that guy in Florida that was pastor in Florida was making sandwiches... And was arrested.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, Or the people down in California who are giving hot food to people in a park and getting arrested. And for that's doing literally so. what
0: the Bible says. Exactly. Is to, you know, I mean, we could be here for days. I know. But, but uh, <laughs> so personal accountability is something you had touched on. And I, I always like the quote. My mom told me this quote is that you don't forgive people for them, that mm-hmm. you forgive them for yourself. Right. And I think forgiveness and then once you've given that forgiveness and you don't have to literally tell somebody just by looking yourself in the mirror and saying, like, I'm not going to let that burden carry me down anymore right. or weigh me down. So that's a big step, you know, to to turning your life around, even if you're not somebody that struggles with homelessness. Every one of us needs to look at, at personal accountability as being something that. You know, we need to check ourselves constantly. Yeah.
1: Like maybe you are the toxic person. Holy crap. Right. You know, that's a very distinct possibility. The
0: blame game. I think we've all been guilty of that. And we're so drawn to focusing on the negatives in life. And personal affirmation is difficult for a lot of people because they weren't told as a kid I think that's why I was
1: one of those kids, you know,
0: and (laughs) that's one thing that I always know that I was fortunate because my mom over the top would be like, how you know you're so special constantly.
1: I do that to my son
0: and it's necessary. And I think that for parents, that's, you know, I know parents always just think they're constantly failing. Like, you know, and that's that's the one thing you can know (laughs) that you are pushing that success is that if you just genuinely look them in the eyes and say how much you're proud of them and how, Much They mean and how special they are and how unique and people can argue about individuality and all that stuff, but that's not the point. I think as a mom as a dad, I think it's definitely necessary that those unique individuals are special. We got to remind them.
1: Oh, yeah, of course,
0: because I think later in life that being told that like you said before the two people in your life. That really cared. Yeah, through thick and thin, through good and bad, mm-hmm. they were gone. So you had only we only were left when what you viewed as people that would judge you. And I know with your f- friend group and stuff, it's it's people have dropped off and came back, right? Because there was a time when I mean, there's been a time when you and I, I'm like, I'm not talking to her,
1: right? <laughs> you yeah, know, of course, and, and I don't blame anyone for any of that, honestly. I don't,
0: I don't know how people. When I was drinking excessively, I don't know how people maintained a friendship with me because I was I was awful. You know, you're and a I, lovable guy, I guess. it. Did, that's the thing is, is that it stopped being fun. Yeah. And every, my battle was, you know, maybe I'll talk about that in length on a different day. But but uh, I'm glad that there's a lot of people that did stick around and, you know. That's, yeah. And, that's, and I will
1: say this uh, to touch on that. The two people thing. I have since learned that that was not the case. I have many, many friends and family who are definitely proud of me and care about me and let me know why. And right. I'm for that, I'm forever grateful. They keep me in this, you know, position that I'm in in this life, which is awesome. At this point, I right. can't. I couldn't be more thankful. Is what I'm trying to get at. I guess. Right.
0: Which is perfect for a Thanksgiving weekend kind hey, of podcast.
1: I got the meat sweats from the turkey. What?
0: <laughs> yeah, we were talking <laughs> off air. You were doing the low carb diet, and I'm like. Are Do you doing it? Yes. Are you doing the low carb for Thanksgiving? Nope.
1: No. I love sweet potatoes.
0: So um, the big thing that, you know, turned your life around. I mean, I know that you probably knew in the back of your mind you had to find a spot to this had to end. Yeah. Like that kind of behavior. I was either
1: going to stop it or die.
0: Right. And then you had been with your now husband for a while. But when you found out you were pregnant. Yeah. And that what was that day like?
1: So I I have been dealing with another thing. I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, which it's this hormone disorder that women can get, which it wasn't uncommon for me to go months without a period. So I didn't think anything of it. Well, anyways, I had an inkling. I took a pregnancy test at the Lindholm Center, which is the day shelter for St. Vincent de Paul. Came up positive. At that time, I was living in a tent in the ditch behind Rexius. It was during that really bad ice snap that we had at the end right. of 2016. Just negative two degrees. And it, yeah. I've never been so cold in my life, and I never want to get there again. Anyways, long story short, I found out I was pregnant, went, got my important things, and never looked back. I uh, Rufus was in jail at the time. Anyways, I got us a place to stay and a place for him to come home to, essentially. And we've just been kind of crawling our way out of despair since. And right. it's great because everything that we have accomplished and been given has gotten us to this point, which is way better than I could ever have possibly imagined. So, yeah, my son saved my life. My and son it, saved I, my husband's I life. And I've seen that
0: happen. And I, I don't, I'm not going to encourage somebody that's going through an addiction, addictive situation. To just be like, oh, pregnancy is going oh to fix it. No. Because, oh, God, no. Please because obviously, you know, we could talk about the options. You know, I'm sure at one point you, it crossed your mind. like, do I need to have an abortion? You know, but then there's On a the point. On the walk
1: back to get my stuff, it crossed my mind. But
0: there's a point in life. And, and how old were you at the time? You're, 35. Right. And so you knew that you're, this is whatever higher power. Whatever, there's, It's something bigger than us. Yep. In that moment that you're like, that's not an option. No. At this. And then I'm, first of all, I'm. Glad you made that choice. Thank you. Second of all, anybody that doesn't, I mean, I'm obviously pro-choice right. because there are situations and, and it, it, these are the situations that people usually call out and say, well, if, what about a drug addict? And, and that's true. But like you said, you chose to make it save your life. Yes. And I think that's what's so important. And I've, I mean, oh my God, beautiful little baby boy. Oh,
1: he is amazing. It's crazy too, because having been through that and lived that lifestyle, I've seen Eight people die in the two years that I've been clean and from the I've, circle that you were kind yes, of running with. Yes, right. just from my circle. And then I have seen at least half a dozen people lose their kids. Right. So and these and and that's not including the ones that have lost them and gotten them back. We're talking like they're gone. They're right. never getting their kids back. And you know, another thing is is I want to touch on this too. Me and Rufus really broke the mold when it came to staying together too. Like well, right. people who meet in their addiction, like we met in a trap house. That's not something that Is we're that proud like of. That
0: kind of hip hop that's hitting the streets these <sighs> days. Trap I mean, music, no, yes, no. the
1: trap mumble rap. No, it's crazy. It was it, it was a house specifically for drug use, right? And that's where we met. And you know, here we are, almost four years later, and we've made it through. You know, addiction and homelessness, and you know, him going in and out of jail, and. He's, you know, he's almost completing. And that's
0: probably more from his past because he's yes. on the straight and narrow, but yes. your past catches up with you. Yeah.
1: He's actually going to, I'm so proud of him. Uh, in less than two months, he'll be off paper for the first time in his wow. adult life. Wow. So, And that's something
0: that's hard for a lot of people to understand from the outside. It's like you could be doing the right things yep. and then Absolutely. your past catches up with you Absolutely. and then it derails you. And it's like, you know, because people will, it's like the busted magazines. I hate those things because it's, uh, it's charges that are from the past yep so you see these people's faces and it's like that's a different me yeah. like i've fixed my life and then yeah. obviously you know personal accountability i mean yep. those going to jail it's like you just take your punches and then you you do the right thing and i mean i'm not i don't think that the, the system the jail and prison system is is has a great track record but no. there's definitely stories of people that it it, it was what they needed yeah. to, to open Absolutely. their eyes and you know uh, it's difficult because jails have become the mental institutions, Yes, you know, and so Especially for, pe- for short term mental institution situation where you're dealing with just depression, that's a long term problem. But episodic, episodic, is that the word Yes, that yes. like you'll find yourself manic in a certain situation and you end up in jail because in Oregon, the funding is not there. And right. if it's not there in Oregon, I can't imagine what it's like in other states because we are known for so much. Funding towards mental health and homelessness yeah. I mean even you know we, One of my customers at my barbershop told me that In Sacramento he worked in a Hospital and that the manager or One of his higher ups or whatever had told him If it's a cons- consistent Problem with the homeless population coming into The hospital just buy them a Greyhound Ticket to Eugene <sighs> which is insanity Sweet You know so
1: uh just, Off the shove to- them, right, just shove right. them aside.
0: Off the topic of what I just... So back to what we were saying and you talked about the, the four years that you've been together and how you've pushed through addiction mm-hmm. and personal accountability. I can't dr- stress that enough. I think personal accountability is something that really, when, as long as I've known you, what I saw change just from like your Facebook pers- persona, not just persona, but I know how genuine you are as a person. Mm-hmm. So like what you were putting out there wasn't blaming people. I mean, there was sometimes during the peak of your issues where you were just ranting and raving on facebook and (laughs) oh man that's the the craziest thing now to is to see people going through manic episodes essentially but they can broadcast it yeah i had
1: no filter and you know i had drugs that mix and i was like i you know i just recently got diagnosed with bipolar disorder so We're starting to find a medication system that's working now. But I was not on meds. I was on tons of drugs. I was homeless and cold and hungry. Right. And, you know, I had Facebook. There's a picture (laughs) that
0: surfaced recently of you deep in your addiction. Yes. And I'm going to share it in the comments of this post. Okay. Um, Because it's a side-by-side of you today or now. Yep. And And the one thing that I've really been inspired by is it's what is the number at this point I mean you said that it's now been seen by like how many people
1: over a hundred thousand
0: hundred thousand people in the
1: recovery community yeah
0: and then you get all that sympathetic kind of response from strangers yeah you know through social media which I think is cool because I know why you you know you you would be interested in the podcast is because from a personal experience, I know that when you can share your story and it can affect someone else's life mm-hmm. in a positive, that in its own is probably the best medicine Absolutely. or the best type of, you know, people deal with recovery in different ways. They'll go to meetings. They'll, you know, have a good support system. I mean, a good support system is necessary no matter Absolutely. how you go about it. But seeing stuff like that where you can have positive feedback on the changes in the growth, that's incredible. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It, it really is encouraging. And I don't care, you know, what anybody says, telling my story and being candid about it. I want to help people by doing so. And if, you know, telling my truth in full detail, it also helps others come out with theirs and right. hopefully heal themselves. Right.
0: And it humanizes. It does. So when you kind of back to the timeline. So when you found out you were pregnant and you said that you left your tent there. Where, yeah. did, where did you go?
1: I we I ended up staying with a friend, and that ended up going really badly. Um, They said they were sober when I moved in, and it turns out they weren't. And a week after Rufus got out of jail, they kicked us out. Oh, wow. So we were homeless again for about another week. My sister stepped in and got us some motel room for a week so right. that we weren't out in the cold, which... Oh, God, she's been her and her family have been so amazing. My entire family has been amazing and supportive. And I can't I can't stress enough how much I miss them. And I'm so stoked to have them back in my life because I separated myself from all of them because I didn't want them to see me falling from grace. Right. Anyways, long story short, we ended up moving in to another place in Junction City. And then that didn't end up working out. So we basically couch surfed until October 27th of last year. We got our own place with the help of St. Vincent de Paul. We would not have been able to get this place. So what we had to do is... My f- my finding us an apartment was a full time job before I actually got my job, and it took us about four months to find this place. We found a manager who was willing to work with us. For and that's
0: and that's sorry to interrupt, but that is because of criminal record,
1: criminal record, no rental history on Rufus's part, um,
0: no capital, no capital, know, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, we we just had a lot of things working against us. Right. We both had jobs when we got this place, so that really helped us. Um, But when it came down to finding, you know, first, last deposit, there's just no way we couldn't have done that. We're still dealing with a tiny baby like, you know. So anyways, we called up St. Vinny's and they have this diversion program through First Place Family Center and uh, they paid for us to move in and it was almost three thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. So they have been an amazing help to us. Rufus actually works for Saint Vincent. So DePaul. in the place
0: the three thousand dollar number, I mean that seems high. Is it they want with first your, last they want deposit? First last, they yeah, want they the took full. two
1: deposits because because of our history, right. my rental history, and then Rufus has no rental history plus his criminal record. Right. So so
0: so, so you get in Saint Vincent Paul kind of went out when, you know, they helped you out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we also wanted to mention some of the other services. Catholic Community Services Catholic is a big Community one.
1: Services was awesome, too. We actually had a housing counselor through them. They were the ones that got us a bunch of applications faxed in. They paid our app fees, all that stuff. We were meeting regularly with them for a couple months before we got this place, too. Right. Um, there's other services in town. Uh, Shelter Care is a really good resource. Um, Women's Space, if you're dealing with a domestic violence issue, they are really good for women and children. Uh, let's see St. Vinny's like we said, and then the mission, uh, their women and children program is amazing. Um, if you're a gentleman, obviously you have to be sober to sure. get into the mission, which I think and you is do a- have to
0: go to church.
1: No, you don't. You don't anymore. No, no. Okay. Uh-uh, no. I mean, I,
0: and I don't want to like make that seem like a bad thing. Cause I mean, everybody, you do what you do with yeah. your faith, but but what I mean by that is, is that a lot of people, that's the turnoff because they feel like it's a ploy to kind of get. But so now they're not pushing that quite as much.
1: No, but the thing with the mission is is their full capacity all the time. So you right. have to be on like a six to eight month waiting list. But the, if you're I mean, it's it's better than nothing. Sure.
0: sure. So and that's exactly it. So. With the Catholic community services, I have to give kudos to them because they don't... I mean, they're literally just like, we're literally trying to help.
1: Literally. We don't care what... We don't have any questions asked.
0: And then, like you said, faxing and phone calls and stuff. One of the biggest things that a homeless person finds themselves doing when they're trying it's like why don't you get a job it's like well i don't have a phone well i don't have an address yeah
1: exactly they don't have a phone they don't have an address they usually don't have an id they've got a record access Um, to the
0: internet which is nowadays you can't get a job yeah you You can
1: you can get help with all those services at catholic community services they'll give you a permanent address they'll help you get your id they'll help you get your birth certificate and all the fees involved with that
2: right um
1: they're they're amazing i really i mean. They're amazing. They really do help people who are down and out, like we were. They helped Rufus get his ID. They're helping me get my birth certificate, which I apparently have lost. But <laughs> right, I mean, um, and yeah, they just help without any like predispositions. There's no conditions to get help with Catholic Community. They also help with utility costs in the winter. I mean, they're just. A I great like the resource. fact that they
0: kind of presented it to you that your experience is that it's a no questions asked kind of yes. thing. they're just like. We literally are doing God's work. Yes. Like we want to help you and we're not going to push the agenda, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a heavily tattooed modified woman. Sure. And nobody (laughs) can
0: argue that the, the Catholic church needs some positive press. Exactly. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll throw them a bone on that one. We'll throw
1: them a bone.
0: Uh, you know, it's it's really cool to see. So now you're working. And I am. I mean, you said that there was a full-time job trying to find a place. I'm sure trying to find a job was as hard, if not harder. You know
1: what? I'm extremely hireable. I'm really lucky that in my addiction, I didn't have to steal or get arrested about anything. And I didn't because I was on disability at the time. So I had regular income. So my kind of like scrounging for, you know, things wasn't as But see, that's needy. the thing. So you
0: had regular income from disability, but that's the thing where you... What made you homeless is that you're like, I'm not gonna spend that money on exactly on Plus, survival. You know,
1: that's it, my what my check was what, like nine hundred bucks. That's right. not two and a half times anything to get anywhere right. for a home. So right. yeah. yeah,
0: it's difficult. And it I mean, was. in a place like Oregon the services are there, but like you said, it's disability. You have to work. Right.
1: You have to work in order to get yourself out of this. Because like I said, personal accountability. I made the choices that got me into the place that I was in ultimately. Right. I had to make the choices and do the work to get myself out of it.
0: Well, and that's the thing I think a lot of times with welfare in general, and I'm going to include disability to a point. I'm right. not. I'm not saying that it's charity because I think that it's, you know, something that people need. Right. You know, not like want kind of thing. Exactly. But I will say that it's designed to get people uh step in the right direction it's not designed to to maintain and live on and then what i want to kind of go back and say it's like with welfare you find yourself collecting it and you're like well i don't want to work harder because if i work harder then that means that i'll lose my benefits and what's wrong about that is (laughs) is that is that (laughs) It's true. And I i mean, we've all found ourselves or I can't say we've all I've there was a time when I was on. I collected food stamps as a young, young adult mm-hmm. because I, I i didn't need it. And I was abusing it at that time. They're not like right. Candy. And I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I don't take any assistance now, but same. But there was a time when I did and I heard it constantly. I used to manage uh, uh, super cuts and one of my employees would say I can only work X amount of hours because if I don't if I go over, then I lose all my benefits. And that's such a,
1: that's ridiculous. It's a
0: difficult reality. I mean, there's obviously with, with the young mom, there's issues of childcare and the timing and right. all that stuff. And so there's some sense that makes of it, but that, right. It's good to see and hear stories of people actually taking the help that's needed and then taking that next step to be plunged into right. being full employment. And right. I, I mean, that's so, that's so difficult. And the common thread, I mean, Not to get super political, but you see the judgment towards homeless people in Eugene, Mm -hmm. especially where there's like a caste system type treatment. So there's this whole, it's the elite class or the 1% or whatever you want to call it, is pitting, divide and conquer, pitting people against each other to where they're looking at. The you know the people struggling and it's like you look at that person you're doing better so you don't have anything to complain right, about right right you know
1: it's everybody else's fault the airport when it's actually the people on tops fault yeah I mean, just pit them all against each other see what happens and it's turning out to be a very bad time right. I mean there's people camped on the sidewalks by my house it's absolutely horrifying
0: and so what tell, tell us a little bit about the homeless camp and the situation in Eugene uh there was a homeless camp in the old city hall right property yeah the w- butterfly lot. And that didn't last long. No. And here's the dark side. So now there was public defecation yes. urination. And I think there was a rape charge. There was
1: needles everywhere. Right. They were disrespecting their venue. You can't do that.
0: So, again, I don't want to play into what I just spoke on. It was like bad-mouthing. I'm not that person. No. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what do you... I mean, how do... How do we go about helping the people that are almost far too far gone to help?
1: You know what? I got to tell you this. If they had caseworkers that were actively seeking to get them into that kind of like give them that push in a positive direction, I think this would be way less of an issue. So here's the thing with the whole homeless in Eugene. They just um, approved $1.5 million project to help with housing the unhoused. Here's the problem with that. 1, 1. 1.5 million seems like a lot.
0: It's nothing. It's it, Especially uh, when you're talking I mean when you're talking tens and 20s and 40 100 people, 200 that doesn't I mean No,
1: that's maybe enough to house like 12 people. Right. Honestly. And
0: initially the the what did you call it? The butterfly lot? Yeah, the butterfly lot. They had lot. talked about housing 34 to 38 people. I mean, what? And that was going to be like $4 million. Too bad. There's
1: 1,600 unhoused, unsheltered people in Eugene today.
0: 1,600. I'm
1: sorry, Lane County.
0: No, well, sure. 1,600. 1,600. And that's like I the said in the
1: unsheltered. Intro. Those are the ones not including the mission, not including the parking programs that they have through St. Vinny's, not including people in RVs who are just hanging out on the road. If you actually include all those people, we're getting towards the 4,500 range. Right.
0: And then, I mean, the numbers and statistics on many changing. of us that are a broken arm away, or a, yeah, you know, a sinus infection away from homelessness. Seriously, I mean, and people don't understand how close they are themselves. They, I'm sure, they do.
1: You know, but, it's crazy too because a lot of the people that I see who are who are chronically homeless—that means they they unless they have some divine intervention—they're not going to get out of their situation. The ones that are chronically homeless are the ones on a fixed income dealing with mental health issues. Right. The veterans. Right. These are the ones that break my heart because these are the ones that that aren't probably gonna get they're gonna die out there. And I absolutely saw that happen too. There was men found in fields, in ditches. They died right. because of being homeless, chronically homeless. And that's
0: <sighs> And like you said, it's people that have a fixed income. So they have an income and may not have the capacity yes. to work both physically or mentally yes. or both. You know, you yes. know uh, It's such a it's such a difficult thing, and that's why a redemption story like yours is so good. And it's day to day; like it this is. isn't something that's like, "Oh, I'm cl- I'm cured." No,
1: no, it's <laughs> a, it's an ongoing battle. I, you know, we struggle daily with you know everything. There's always something that's going to come our way and you know put a little wrench in our plans. But here's the thing: now having survived our addiction and come out the other end. We have the tools to deal with it now because life is always going to happen. Right. If you're, you know, medicating to numb the pain emotionally, physically or otherwise, guess what happens when you when you sober up? Shit's way worse. Way worse. Oh, yeah. Way worse. But
0: but at the same time, you just you learn how to just roll with the punches. I mean, as far as if you have money in the bank or if you die with debt, I mean, you can't take it with you. Exactly. Either way. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, it doesn't really matter. So Blair, I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing your story a little bit. If, if anybody is homeless or a loved one who is homeless or close to homeless, there is services and we're going to share some of the links. We had mentioned them, women's space, St. Vincent de Paul,
1: shelter, care, shelter, care, care the, the mission, mission Catholic, Catholic community, Catholic community yeah.
0: services. So we're going to have those in the, in the in description of this post. I'm also going to share that picture that I would mentioned before uh, and after the before and after picture. And it's dun, pretty dun, startling. Dun.
1: Yeah. It's really startling. Even I was like, Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's cool that it's reached that many people and that's got to give you some, some gratitude or whatever, thankful, whatever the word is because humble, humble and, yeah, exactly. humility, Humil- but it's really,
1: I'm sitting down and being humble.
0: It's, it's given, it took a long time for you to get there. Seriously. No, yeah, uh, I'm very proud of you and Thank I'm you. glad that I, For some reason, I saw something in you that I was like, I'm going to not completely turn my back on this person. We've been friends for a long time. I seriously appreciate that. I separated myself, and I was dealing with my own issues and struggles. But, you know, I think you're now one of my best friends. And so it's cool that I can see you in this position, and I'm glad that I I trusted in that, that you would turn it around.
1: You know what? We're both back from the brink, y'all. I'm really proud of you, too, man. Thank you. Seriously. Thank
0: you it's it's uh it's rewarding every day the weekends because I you know drank heavily for 15 years yeah. and quit it's been two and a half years and honestly the weekends sometimes Friday nights um are dull but it's so not worth the rocky oh, God, the, no. you know the, the valleys essentially yeah yeah, but,
1: yeah I don't I, I love not waking up hungover right. I love not waking up dope that's sick. what I, that's I love what, not waking right. up needing to hustle
0: that's what I tell myself every Friday night because that was the hard one early on in the process was I'd be like well I'm bored I'm not doing anything I'm not an about, out and about but then I'd just tell myself Saturday morning Saturday morning oh, yeah. Saturday morning oh, yeah. and I'd wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday just bright just bing, yeah,
1: I, love know, I love it I love it now I wake up and I get to hang out with my son and my husband today you know, you know when I go home and honestly that's way cooler than going out partying totally I love it
0: so not to say I didn't have a good time and meet a lot of good people exactly. along the way and th- that's the one thing I don't have regrets you can't but you know one thing about struggling and going through that and coming out of it is is that the empathy that that you can then feel for the people that are in that position yep. is is good and i think that that's what our country needs is a lot more empathy yeah. but uh, well
1: i don't regret anything i've gone through either cuz honestly i feel like i'm a better person for having gone through what i've gone through right. and and uh, you know i know i acknowledge now that yes this is my life that i'm talking about but that person that i was seems like such a distant memory right. that it's actually like empowering and that's something that
0: we want people to really understand is that like yes in the in the beginning when you're fighting and you're taking one day one step at a time there it it happens pretty quick where you start to feel like you're not a wounded animal anymore Yeah, and i mean in the moment it doesn't seem like it's fast but when you look back two and a half years to think that the world has infinitely changed for both of us different levels it happens pretty quick so if you're somebody that you know is maybe not homeless, just dealing with addiction, just know that if you take the steps, you'll be rewarded pretty quick. Yep. I mean, it's not an overnight thing and it's going to be horrible, but...
1: Yeah, it'll be worth, worth it, though. It, you know? It's so much more worth it, yeah. So
0: you. I wanted to end, you had a quote that you wanted to share and really I think this is so good uh, for people on how to deal with loved ones who um, are addicts. Like if you are somebody that... Because I, I think that a lot of people can personally attest to being... At some point in their life or a lifelong addict, so a lot of people. But mm-hmm. I think every single person is a, has a loved one that is an addict. Absolutely. Unless you are a hermit, there's somebody in your life that you may not even realize it mm-hmm. is an addict in some way. So what is it that you would tell them on how to deal with that?
1: So the one piece of advice I've got is if you're dealing with an addict, if they're happy with you, you're probably killing them. If they're mad at you, you're probably saving their life so that you know take from that what you will but that's a huge thing don't right. love them to death please
0: right so on that note Blair thank you very much for coming thank you so much
1: this was awesome
0: I'm gonna end this episode with a track that I made um, about personal despair and back in I don't know 2005 uh, this is me self esteem but Willie with turmoil despair all right thanks a lot
2: get about
3: Seems to be crushing me Every waking moment I wish I was a casual Signs point to a tragic And my life feels empty Think I'll lay in bed And reflect on everything We struggle for stability Seems to be crushing me Every waking moment I wish I was a casual Signs point to a tragic And my life feels empty Think I'll lay in bed And reflect on everything Seems to be crushing me every waking moment. I wish I was a casual casualty. Signs point to a tragic and my life feels empty. Think of in bed and reflect on everything. The struggle for stability seems to be crushing me every waking moment. I wish I was a casual casualty. Signs point to a tragic and my life feels empty. Think of in bed and reflect on everything.
2: Of your eyes right and nice in- no left eyes, and eyes, left eyes, and left left